I beg of you, wait for Edward, my love. We know he is coming with his own army. Wait for the love of God. But she spoke to an empty hall. Her husband was gone, impetuously and arrogantly, believing he could defeat any Lancastrian force. She had broken down and cried. The scene faded, and Cecily stifled a sob in her daughter's blonde hair. That had been exactly a month ago, but it seemed to her a lifetime of loneliness. Richard and Edmund had been killed that day at Wakefield, alongside the great Yorkist lord, Richard, Earl of Salisbury, who was Cecily's beloved brother. Two thousand men fell in the York ranks, trapped as they were by a far superior Lancastrian force, which lost a mere two hundred, so the messengers said. In an unwanted act of spite, the Lancastrian victors had taken the heads of the defeated Yorkist leaders and stuck them on the city of York's Micklegate, adorning Richard's brow with a paper crown. See, they laughed, he wanted to be king, this Duke of York, and now he's king of his namesake city. Richard, my Richard, why were you always so hasty, so rash? Cecily muttered to herself unintelligibly. If only you had been patient that day, waited for Edward, listened to me, you might be with me still. Her voice rose. Oh, my dearest love. Margaret heard her mother's soft moan and immediately wiped her eyes. The girl was astonished by this uncharacteristic display of emotion from her mother. Cecily came from strong northern stock, her family were Neville's, after the royal princes, the most powerful nobles in England. Her father had been Earl of Westmoreland, and she was a granddaughter of John of Gaunt on her mother's side. A noble line indeed, and one used to the vagaries of political fortune and the terrifying consequences of battle. Mother, I am so sorry. How you must be grieving too. All this time you have allowed me to think made me wonder. She hesitated, embarrassed by such an intimate conversation with her usually imperturbable parent. Aloof, proud, and stoic were words Margaret had heard whispered behind Cecily's back, and for the most part she agreed with them. But she had also been witness to Cecily's deep devotion for her husband, and the recipient of a motherly protection as fierce as any lioness's. Margaret had known, as had her seven siblings, a mother's love from the day she was born. Cecily allowed her tears to fall. My sweeting, you thought I had a heart of stone. Is that what you would say? She attempted a wan smile. Nay, my loss is so great I feel my heart is shattered in so many shards that they pierce my skin here, she tapped her breast, and make me want to scream in agony. And she sobbed again. This time it was Margaret who put her arms around Cecily and soothed her with gentle sounds. How glad she was to see a softer side of her mother. At fifteen, she had already formed her own shell and learned to hide inside to protect herself from hurt, but there were times when she ran into the garden and found a solitary place where she could cry or stamp her foot in anger, emotions that were frowned upon in Cecily's strict household. Hush, mother. God has father and Edmund in his care now. 
Let us pray together for their souls, Margaret cajoled, gentling the older woman away. She knew her mother would respond to a call for prayer. Cecily's piety was well known. The two women knelt by the bed, crossed themselves, and intoned the ritual. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and then disappeared into silent memories of their lost dear ones. Margaret shut her eyes tight, hoping the darkness behind them would erase the grisly dream. When that didn't work, she forced herself to think of her father as alive and well, and dandling her on his knee when she was a child. She knew she was his favourite. The boys told her so constantly. Richard of York had not been a big man, but his body was sinewy and carried not an ounce of fat. He used to allow Margaret to test the solid muscle in his upper arm and try to...